Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. Turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 18. Gospel of Matthew chapter 18. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 985 in that Bible. We are on week three, continuing through our series called Christ Stories, Parables for Today, looking at some of the important teaching of Jesus as he told these stories to show us something about God, to show us something about him, to show us something about the kingdom of God and how we are to live our lives. And so we are on week three. We do have a study guide available that will help you go deeper with the message. You can buy those at the hub. And as we dive in, just as a reminder, our key verse for this series is 1 John 2.6. I hope this will be memorized by all of us as we come to the end. Whoever claims to live in him, Jesus, must live as Jesus did. If we are going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, then we actually have to follow in the ways of Jesus. And so we are spending some time looking at what that can look like. What does Jesus teach us and how does he live his life that we can follow and imitate after his example? These are my kids, Kaylee and Matthew. This is them dressed up, getting ready to come to Whoopalooza, our Halloween event this past year. Matthew is five and Kaylee is going to be seven this week, which blows my mind. And kids, if you have kids, or if you remember your kids when they were young, uh, have a way of being very, very honest. And maybe not always the most tactful or always the most sensitive, but they speak their mind. It's one of the things I love about my kids, actually, is they go, they don't sugarcoat anything. You hear the truth when they start talking. And so one of the things that's changed in our family uh, this most recent season of life is that my wife Sarah's gone back to school. She's been home with the kids uh, for about seven years, and she's in the paralegal program at St. Clair. She's killing it, by the way, straight A's across the board, doing awesome on every level, loving it as well. And one of the things that has had to change is because she was home for seven years and taking care of the house and the food and everything and the kids, uh, now that she's in school full-time, some chores and things had to get adjusted. So one of the things that's adjusted is uh, I'm in charge of dinner now. I make dinner for the kids because Sarah usually has classes that go late. And so as we were jumping into this new season, I was making dinner one night. It was not anything crazy fancy or complicated. It wasn't, you know, duck l'orange or anything. Um, we're sitting at dinner and Matthew's eating it and he's chewing and he's kind of thoughtful. And he says, Daddy, you know how you're not a very good cook? <laughs> I said, I did not know that. Now I know. And I was, just to be clear, it was grilled cheese and salad that I was making. So I don't know how we ruined it, but we did, apparently. And I said, buddy, that's not really nice. And he said, well, just, it's mommy's a way better cook than you are. And I said, well, that's probably fair. But I, you know, teaching moment, right, as a parent. I said, you know what, Matt, not everyone is good at everything, okay? So mommy's a better cook. Daddy is good at other things. And he looked at me and he went, I don't think so. <laughs> Kaylee, my, my oldest, my seven-year-old, said to me one day, Daddy, you're handsome, but there's other men who are more handsome than you. <laughs> I thought, well, a backhanded compliment is still a compliment. I'll take it, I guess. And then she said, you would be more handsome if you grew some hair and lost the beard. And I was like, oh, come on, dude. Ow. Ouch. And they're kids, and kids talk like that, and it's great. And it's, you let it go quickly. It doesn't have any lasting damage, a little bit of damage, but 
doesn't scar your soul. You go, kids are kids. And so we let the little stuff go. And, and that happens in life, not just from kids. There's just things that happen and they sting or, or they hit you the wrong way or things that are said or things that are done. Those things happen. And then there's obviously things that happen in life uh, that are much more uh, intense, much more serious than what we've just talked about. There are words that uh, crush our souls. There are events that happen that hurt us deeply. There is offense that happens uh, that, that really affects us in major ways. And there are things that happen in life, and we don't have a lot of control over it all the time, but, uh, but we carry these hurts, we carry these wounds, we carry these offenses. That's life. That is the way life goes if you're ever going to interact with people. So if you want to live as a hermit in a shed out in the woods by yourself forever, then you might not get offended. But if you're going to interact and connect with people in any way, uh, offense and hurt is going to be part of it sometimes. We are broken, we are sinners, we are fallen, and it's not great, but it is the way life is. And yet both Testaments call us consistently back to this place that we are to forgive other people when they do that. We are to forgive the words. We are to forgive the actions. We are to forgive uh, maybe the lack of words or the lack of action. We are to forgive the offenses. We are to let these things go, which is much easier said than it is done, but the principle itself is very, very simple. God has forgiven us everything, and so we are to be forgiving people towards others. And whenever we talk about this topic right away, uh, I know, and it already happened in the first service, people start to go to, okay, but you don't know what this person did, and you don't know this situation, and you don't know what I went through, and you don't know this, and you don't know that, and I don't, and you're right. But that does not change the fact that we are consistently called by God back to this place of forgiveness. And when we get hurt, uh, there's just something about it. You know, someone says something or someone does something that hurts. The hurt is legitimate. The offense is legitimate. We have good reason uh, to be upset. And there is something about us that will do anything possible to numb the pain or get away from the pain, to dull it or avoid it. And so we come up with excuses and we put up our walls and our heart gets harder and we do whatever we can. And sometimes when we've been hurt, it is just a lot easier to be mad at the other person than to let that hurt rest there on its own. Right? The hurt is unpleasant, and so if I can take you know, the hurt that I'm feeling and sort of morph it into anger towards the person who hurt me, it just has a way of kind of taking the edge off that pain. And where there is, there is some bitterness or where we're holding a grudge or where we're, we're holding something against someone, it does soften the pain a little bit, which is why we do it. And yet, the, the call of Scripture consistently is you need to forgive because you've been forgiven. And if you've ever gone through a journey of forgiveness with someone, you know that me holding a grudge against you doesn't do anything good for me whatsoever. And that when I find the way to the place of forgiveness for someone else, it brings freedom and life to my soul. That bitterness isn't good for me. It's going to be an obvious statement, but bitterness makes me bitter. Holding on to grudges makes my heart harder. It's been said that forgiveness is letting someone else out of prison and realizing that you were in prison with them the whole time. And yet there is freedom, there is healing, there is peace that comes when we can let somebody off the hook, when we can release them. Uh, it's easier to be mad than it is to be hurt, for sure. But if we can release that anger and, and let that go, that will bring healing to the hurt as the Holy Spirit comes into those places. Let's take a look at what Jesus had to say about this. Matthew chapter 18. This is the parable of the unmerciful servant. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? 
up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven, depending on your version. In the Bible, the number seven is often used symbolically, and it is the number of completion, as we sometimes call it. So when someone says something happened seven times, usually what they're saying is it happened until it was done. Uh, sometimes it might literally mean seven, but usually it's used in the symbolic sense. It means it's been completely finished. And so Peter is bringing up a good question, something I think everyone on earth has probably struggled with, the area of forgiveness. How many times do I have to forgive that person who has wronged me? Like, like seven times? That's the Sunday school answer, right? The complete times? Do I, do I forgive the seven? And Jesus says, no, not even that. Not even seven, but 77 or 70 times seven. In other words, you forgive and then 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 you forgive. There's no end to how often you forgive somebody else. You keep forgiving. But he doesn't stop there. He says, to illustrate this, let me tell you a story. Verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, or 10,000 talents, maybe in your version, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And all God's people said, amen. Ooh, yikes. So this is Jesus' response to the question of forgiveness. How often do I have to forgive? What does that forgiveness look like? Uh, just like last week, the conversation started with, what is love? And who am I supposed to love? Jesus responds with the parable of the Good Samaritan. This week, this forgiveness issue comes up. Jesus responds with this parable. And it is a picture of us. We are the first servant in this story. The king is God in this story. There's not really any debate or confusion about that. And so this is a picture of us and our standing before God and our, our debt that we owe him. Verse 24 of our text. The king is settling his accounts and a man who owes him 10,000 bags of gold or 10,000 talents. Talents was a unit of money, which your version might say. And since he's not able to pay, this is a huge amount of money, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt, a common practice, that if you can't have the money, you're going to give yourself. And if you have wives and kids, they are getting brought in on this too. So the man is going to be ruined completely in every way, his family, all his possessions entirely. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. 
So the king responds more graciously than what the guy was even asking for. The guy comes, I just want time. Give me time and I will make this right. But the master looks at him with pity, with compassion, with mercy. And instead of giving him time, instead of saying, let's make a payment plan, instead of saying, here's what your interest is going to look like, as you slowly give it back to me, he says, you know what? We'll just wipe it out and I'm going to let you go. Your debt is forgiven. It is canceled out. It is over. I was reading something this week where someone was wrestling through the numbers in this parable. Uh, so what is 10,000 bags of gold? What would that be worth? What are the 100 silver coins? And as they kind of wrestled through it, and they tried to figure it out very conservatively, very safely, um, but gold is hugely valuable, obviously, and, and a talent or a bag of gold was a large amount of gold. So they have figured that the 10,000 bags of gold, the equivalent is 7 to $10 billion dollars. And that was American dollars, too. So add another gazillion on top to convert it into Canadian. Seven to ten billion dollars. And so Jesus sometimes uses what's called hyperbole, great exaggeration to make a point. Obviously, seven to ten billion, if you owe somebody that, you're in trouble, and you're probably not paying it back. That is the point. It is an insurmountable, impossible debt to pay. And so this servant comes. I don't know how he lost $10 billion, but he's not good at what he does, obviously. And he comes before the servant, and he's like, just give me time. I'll pay you back. Now, in the same article, they did the math on how long would it take to pay it back uh, based on an average middle-class salary like a servant might be making. And they figured it was between 150 to 200,000 years to pay back $10 billion. So you're not paying it back. And how would you even do it anyway? You have lost it all. You don't have anything to start with, right? It's okay, I got to go invent something better than Facebook, and then I'll be able to pay you back eventually one day. So he's at a loss. There is nothing he can do to get on top of this. There is no possible way he will ever come close to returning that debt. And the king says, you know what? Forget it. Debt is forgiven. And that is the grace that is offered to every human being on earth. That debt that they're talking about, that is our sin. That's what that is a picture of. Our sins against God, our sins against others, every single thing we've done. And if you start to really think and start to list every sin you've ever committed, every word, every thought, every action, every lack of action— Every financial thing you've done wrong, every selfish thing you've done, every critical thing, self-righteous thing, judgmental thing, everything you've done against God's word, everything you've done against other people, like if you start to list it one by one for your whole life, you're like seven to ten billion dollars, it's an insurmountable thing. We have sinned a lot. We are sinners by nature. It's just, it's there. And like the man in this story, God, our Father, has looked at us and had pity on us, understood there is no way these humans are ever going to be able to make it right on their own. They're never going to be able to make right with God the sins that they have committed. And so God has looked at everyone who's asked for it and looked at our debt that was against him, and he has crossed it out and said, paid in full. Your debt is canceled in God's eyes. The ledgers are clear. We owe him nothing. That's the mercy and grace that we have been offered. We have been forgiven. And so we start there because any teaching on our forgiveness has to start in God's forgiveness. Colossians 3.13 says that we are to forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
So we acknowledge forgiveness is not always easy, but remember that the Lord forgave you. You have to be grounded there, that you have been forgiven an insurmountable debt of sin against him and against others. So you go forgive in the same way. As you have received mercy, go give mercy. As you've received grace, you give grace. As he has let you off the hook, you let them off the hook. You forgive because you've been forgiven. We ground it there first and foremost. And this is not to say that you are, uh, you know, sometimes I preach this and people come and say, well, is that person, I mean, they're not going to be held to account. There is not going to be any uh, reckoning for what they did. Like, isn't that, that's not even good character development, right? We want to hold people. And that's not wrong. But what forgiveness does is, if you have wronged me, it's me saying, you don't owe me anything in order to to be forgiven. You're not going to earn my forgiveness. You don't have to make amends. You don't have to uh, apologize even. That's nice if that happens, but you don't have to do that for me to release you in my heart. You don't have to do anything. Now, if there is something that needs to be happening in your life where you are dealt with or or disciplined or held to account, we're going to leave that in God's hands. As it says multiple times in Scripture, including Romans 12, 19, God says, it's mine to avenge. I will repay. God says, I will deal with it. So forgiving someone is not to say there will never be any consequences or there will never be any accounting. It's just saying, you don't owe that to me. I'm going to leave you in God's hands. And if there's character he wants to work out or discipline or judgment that needs to happen, he will be the one to do that. Max Licato says, forgiveness doesn't diminish justice, it just entrusts it to God, the perfect judge, the one who's way wiser and smarter and more gracious than I am. God will deal with it. Now, I've preached messages like this before. I did it once in Sudbury, and a woman came forward afterwards, and she had been um, sexually abused by her dad for years, and it had all come out as she had, you know, for years it was hidden and covered up. And then it all came out, and it was going through the legal system, and she said, so does me forgiving him mean I need to withdraw my complaint or, or, or you know, remove that from him? And we would say, no, no. Where laws have been broken, where, where people are not safe, uh, it's not to say you, you stay in an unsafe situation. It's not to say that you cancel out uh, the, the legal thing. Again, forgiveness doesn't mean there's no consequences, but sometimes the consequences fall because we've legitimately done things and they need to get dealt with legally or they need to get dealt with uh, directly by the hand of God. And so I just always want to throw that out there. And, and sometimes if you've got more specifics on that, you can come and ask me and we can chat about it. But forgiveness is about you saying, you don't owe me anything. You don't have to uh, grovel. You don't have to, to do anything. I'm going to work uh, to release you from that in my own heart. And, and I'm not going to hold it against you, and I'm not going to let it poison me. I release you from any consequences to me that you have uh, maybe even legitimately earned. So it starts off, we do all of this because we've been forgiven, right? That's the main reason. You have received grace, so you give grace. And yet that's not the end of this parable because we are not just the first servant in the sense of we have gone before the king and had our 10 billion wiped out. We are also like the first servant in what happens next. And so the servant goes out. He's just received this incredible gift. Who has ever been forgiven $10 billion? Anyone? No? Nobody at all? The servant went out found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him, he begins to choke him, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. 
His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. That's the exact same phrase that the first servant just used with the king. He stood before the king and said, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. The second servant is saying the exact same thing, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. So we just looked at how the, the first servant has had his $10 billion wiped out. Uh, they looked at what would 100 silver coins be worth in today's money, and they found conservatively it would be about $20,000. So, I mean, that's not nothing, right? If someone owed me $20,000, I would want it. That's a significant amount of my annual salary, and I'm sure yours as well for most of us. $20,000 is not nothing. And that's important in this story. The wrong that has come against you is not nothing. We're not saying that you don't have a sincere right to be angry or bitter or offended or hurt. $20,000, that's a significant debt. And someone in your life may owe you a significant debt. And yet when you put $20,000 next to $10 billion, you start to see the scale of, I have been forgiven an awful lot by the grace and mercy of God. I've been forgiven everything. And so when we see the servant do this, there's something in us that goes, ah, oh, hypocrite, hypocrite. Like, it's not like it happened even a week later. It's like he walked out from the meeting with the king and grabbed the guy by the throat right away, right? Like his forgiveness has not changed him, obviously. He has not been impacted by the grace that he was just shown. Like right away, he wants his money back, that $20,000, which again is a good chunk of money. And when it comes to where we have been offended, where we have been wounded, where there are debts owed us, or there have been wrongs against us, we are masters at justifying, right? I understand forgiveness, but you don't know what they did. I understand forgiveness, but they need to repent to me before I will do anything. I know what I'm supposed to do, but you know what? I've tried, and they haven't tried, so I'm not going to do anything anymore, and we come up with our excuses, and, and again, they, they can be reasonable. They can be legitimate. When I was preaching in Sudbury, our last church, I preached a similar message on forgiveness, and a man came up to me after the service, and I'd never seen him before. He'd never been there before. He was visiting. And he was from Toronto, but he came up to Sudbury for business just once in a blue moon. And so we found our church, and he came to the service. He was a believer. And he said, yeah, he said, I don't really, he said, I get the heart of what you're saying, but I don't really agree with it. And he said, because God doesn't forgive me until I repent of my sin, and so I don't need to forgive anybody until they come to me and repent. And, and I've heard that before, and sometimes when we preach this, that's one of the things we kind of wrestle through. It makes sense. Sounds good. And so he said, I, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, we're commanded to forgive. Like, the Bible tells us to forgive. Forgive as you've been forgiven. And so, you know, we need to obey what we are told by Scripture to do. We went back and forth a little bit. It wasn't unpleasant. It was just a, an interesting discussion. And at the end, he sort of went, well, let's agree to disagree. And we, we parted ways. Uh, and then he, he was just gone. We didn't see him for a long time. Maybe two years later, uh, again, I'm preaching on forgiveness. I don't preach on this all the time, as you know. Uh, but I was preaching on it again a couple of years later. And as I finish up the service, someone's walking up, and it's the same guy. He's back. We haven't seen him in two years, not a single Sunday, but he's back on the Sunday I'm preaching on forgiveness. And he says, yeah, you know, I, I was thinking about what you said after our last talk. I said, I still don't agree. I don't agree at all. Um, you know what? God doesn't forgive me until I repent, so I don't need to forgive anyone until they repent. And again, we wrestled through the scriptures, and again, he didn't really like what I was saying, and, and so we talked a bit, went our separate ways. And maybe a year after that, 
I'm preaching on forgiveness on a Sunday morning. Guess who's there? Who we have not seen any other time in four years except those three Sundays. And he came up and he said, yeah, same. I just, I really disagree with what you're saying. I think if the other person makes an effort, I have to forgive them. But if they don't make an effort, I don't have to forgive them. And I decided, okay, we're not going to wrestle through the scriptures with him because I know how he feels about those things. But I just said, let me ask you this. I said, I have been the pastor here for four years. I have preached on forgiveness exactly three times. You who only come here once in a while have been here every single time. I am talking about forgiveness. So who are you not letting off the hook? Because it really seems like God's trying to get your attention on something. I don't think that's all just coincidence. And we actually never saw him again after that. He didn't come back. But I just want to speak to that, because that comes up any time I've ever preached this in any church, of, you know, God forgives when we return to him, and so if someone doesn't make an effort towards us, we don't have to forgive. And there's just a couple of things I want to say. First of all, we are not God. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not God. <laughs> Spouses have fun saying that to one another. <laughs> no, you're not God. Shut up. <laughs> We're not God. And so God reserves the right to do anything he wants, and he can command us to do things differently than what he himself does if he wishes to, because he's God and we're not. So our role is to say, what has he commanded us to do, and how do I obey it? And so he has commanded us to forgive, and so we are to forgive. And he commands it to us, by the way, over and over and over and over and over again. And so we forgive because that's what he's told us to do. Even if we don't understand or maybe think he does it a little bit differently. The Bible clearly says, thou shall not kill. Right? Life and death is in God's hands alone. He alone gets to, to call somebody home. He alone gets to, to end someone's life and bring them home. But what we don't get to do is say, I know the commandment says thou shalt not kill, but God brings people home a lot. Therefore, I get to do that because that's what he did. We don't get to say that. We say, what's the commandment say? Let's obey the commandment. So the commandment says forgive, and so we are called to forgive. God also has never sinned against anybody. So he's not hypocritical in this like we are. Like that's the problem with us and with the story in this passage is that we are sinners who have been forgiven who don't forgive others, and there's hypocrisy to that. God is not in that place. He is just good and just forgiving. So he's not held to the same standard as we are in that way. But the last one and the most important one to this argument that God only forgives us when we return to him or when we repent and therefore we treat others the same way is that it's not like God has just been in heaven doing nothing and saying, well, I'll forgive them if they turn to me, but otherwise they're out of luck. Like God has taken the initiative to fix this relationship that was broken. God came near to us. God took the initiative to come down to us. God took the initiative to walk among us and to love us and to suffer for us and to die for us and to rise for us. He did all of that to fix what was broken between us and him. So it's not like he's just sitting there and all he's done is said, repent and you'll be forgiven. He took the initiative. He took the proactive step. He made the effort to fix this relationship. And he did more than any of us have ever done to fix a relationship. So whoever you're struggling with, if you have gotten to the point where you have approached them, lived life with them, loved them, and died for them, then you can say, I'm going to be like God and wait for them to come back. But until that happens, 
we're going to follow the example of Jesus. Jesus took the initiative to make the relationship right. Jesus took the initiative in forgiveness and paid a terrible price in order to do so. So I don't buy the argument of, well, I don't have to do anything because God doesn't do anything. God did everything to make this right. And so we, as followers of Jesus, if we're going to follow him, call ourselves Christ followers, and follow after his example and live the way he lived, then we need to be initiative takers in this. And that's not to say every relationship can be reconciled. If, if our heart of forgiveness is not necessarily that the relationship is going to be close and chummy like it was, but at the very least, I'm going to release you. Right? In my heart, I'm going to release you. You don't owe me anything. You don't owe me any consequences. You don't owe me an apology. I'm going to let you off the hook because Jesus has let me off the hook. In our story, uh, it does not go well for the first servant, who, again, is us. This is our story. Word gets back. The master calls the servant in, verse 32. You wicked servant, he said. You wicked servant, and he's talking to someone who's been forgiven their debts. He's talking to us. He's talking to a Christian who has been forgiven. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And I, I honestly, I'm not sure how to read the parable any other way as our hypocrisy in this area makes God angry. That's not fun to talk about. But I just, I don't know how to read it any other way. That it provokes such a strong response in this that you go, wow, like that's, there's a hypocrisy to this that the king cannot stomach. I just forgave you $10 billion. And here you are, and you couldn't be gracious for 10 minutes to someone who owes you way less. I just, I'm not sure how to read that any other way. In his anger, the master hands him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. That's heavy stuff. That's, in most contexts in the gospel, that's hellfire language. That's the language of judgment. And just so there's no mistaking this, that's verse 34. Jesus wraps it up with verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Yikes. That's heavy stuff. Jesus wraps it up with this line. This isn't just a story anymore. This is something that, that should challenge us deeply. At the end of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 15, if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow! Now, I only get to heaven if my sins are forgiven. If my sins are not forgiven, what does that mean? Like, there are scholars, and there's debate about this, that talk about these types of verses maybe suggest that our unforgiveness can have an effect on our eternity, even. James says it this way, James 2.13, Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. The same theme carrying on again. And so you start to put some of these things together, and I'm going to say might. These verses might suggest that there are major consequences to our unforgiveness. That there is something about our unforgiveness that we should take very seriously. Uh, because, again, it might suggest that eternity is on the line here. 
And you can pull out other verses that might suggest the other side. So I'm using the word might, and I'm wrestling through this just as I'm sure you will be after this. But at least I think what we can all agree on is that God takes this very seriously. That unforgiveness isn't something we should mess around with. And holding on to our, our bitterness and our grudges isn't something we should play games with. Um, when James says judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful, uh, the question is, how do you want to be judged when you stand before God? How do you want him to treat you? Do you want it to be merciful or do you want it to be judgment without mercy? I can't imagine anyone not saying, I'll take the mercy, please, given a choice. And yet it seems there is something of a condition on that, that you will be treated mercifully as you are merciful to others. The, the grace that you are looking for from God is the same grace that you are to give away to other people. James says, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. But the next sentence is, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is what God wants. Mercy is God's default. It is his desire. It is what he wants. He wants, when you stand before him, it to be unconditional mercy and forgiveness for everything you've ever done. His heart is to cancel out your 10 billion that you owe him. That is the heart of the Father for you. And as we receive that mercy, and I don't know anyone who doesn't want that. I want that every day. Lord, I want all of your mercy, all of your grace, all of your forgiveness. I need it, Lord, because I can't, uh, I can't make it right by myself. I throw myself on your mercy. And that's really the heart of the gospel. We understand I can't earn my way to heaven. I can't make right before God the things that I've done and the sins that I've committed, but I can throw myself on his mercy and trust his grace and forgiveness. But it doesn't stop there because then you have to go out and live your life. And in real life, there are people who hurt you, who wound you, who speak against you, who offend you. And that same grace and mercy that you have freely received, you are to now go and freely give. And as we do that, we actually demonstrate this gospel to the world, right? We show people very practically what forgiveness looks like, not just between God and us, but between people as well. And they can get a taste of what forgiveness is like when we let them off the hook. And sometimes that is what transforms a person, much more than sermons and lectures. And, and it's just they get a taste of what grace looks like because you forgive them. And as that happens, then awesome things happen in their hearts and awesome things happen in your heart as you find freedom by letting them go. So what do we do with this? How do we do this? Just a couple practical things as we get ready to wrap up today. First of all, be honest about where you're at. We are masters at excuses. We are masters at justifying. I'll be counseling someone in my office and I'll say, you know, it sounds like you've got a, some bitterness there towards your spouse. They're going through difficulties. And, and very quickly, we justify. Oh, we're, no, we're not mad. No, we're not. No, no one's mad. We're not allowed to be mad as Christians, so we're not. We're not mad. I mean, we live in separate bedrooms and we never speak, but no one's mad. It's just easier that way. Right? It sounds like you've got some bitterness towards your brother. No, I'm not bitter. No, don't get me wrong. I'm not bitter. I mean, yeah, I've been slamming him for the last two hours in the session, but no, no one's bitter. I mean, my chest gets tight whenever I think about it. But no, I'm not upset. Don't get me wrong. I'm not upset, right? And we make excuses. Like, like some of our hurts come from our parents. Some of our hurts come from our siblings. Some of our hurts come from our spouses or from our kids. And, you know, I've had many people, you know, say, like, it sounds like you're carrying something from that thing your dad said that hurt you so badly. And we go, well, you know what? He was, he worked 12-hour days. He was stressed out. 
Like, I understand he had a short temper, and, and I understand my mom, like, carrying what she was carrying. She had seven kids, and life was stressful. And all of that may be true, but you can't logic your way out of the hurt that was caused. Even if that's all 100% true, and you can have some grace for them because of it, it doesn't change the fact that a hurt is a hurt is a hurt. And we can't deal with these things if we're not honest about them. So we need to be honest, first and foremost. I am mad at so-and-so. I was wounded by so-and-so. Because God knows it already. And just to give you a heads up, most of us know it as well. We can see these things. You can tell when a marriage is struggling. You can tell when someone is carrying something. And so you don't have to tell everybody, but, but just be honest with yourself about this hurt so that it can be dealt with. Stop spreading the news to, to everyone. I'm not saying don't talk to anyone, because sometimes you absolutely have to talk to someone. Uh, sometimes you need to talk to a counselor, or a pastor, or a mentor, or your spouse, or a close friend. So, I mean, you, we need to talk to someone to help us sort through these things. But there are people who will tell everybody everything about everything, and that doesn't help. That doesn't help us, and it doesn't help the other person. And so sometimes we've been wronged, and we want everyone to know that we've been wronged, and we want everyone to know what that other person did. But that's not good for them, and it's not good for us. And so if I'm mad at Josh because Josh did something insensitive, and I go to Chris, and I say, Chris, will you believe what this jerk Josh did? And Chris says, he is a jerk. That's right. He's giving agreement to my anger, and now I'm maybe a little madder. And now Chris is mad at Josh, and he wasn't mad before. And poor Josh doesn't know what's going on because he didn't know anything that he said. He missed it. And so now we got two people mad at Josh. And then if we tell Jake about it, and now Jake's mad at Josh. We tell Sarah about it, and then they tell people, and it just spreads. And it doesn't help anything, and including your own heart getting sobbed. Because if I'm mad and someone's reaffirming my anger, then it doesn't help me release that and let someone off the hook. It just makes me feel justified and self-righteous. So we have to be careful, and I've learned this as a pastor, I have to be careful. There's a fine line between being a good listener and sympathetic, and sometimes adding fuel to the fire because someone thinks I'm saying, you are justified in your bitterness, and, and inadvertently saying, so you hold on to that then, because your pastor is telling you you have a good reason to be upset. And so we got to be very, very careful that we're not adding fuel to the fire as we're listening and as we're sharing. So talk to somebody by all means, but don't talk to everybody. Start blessing that person. This is not always easy to do, especially when the hurt is extreme. But Jesus tells us, bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who wrongfully treat you. And there's a reason for that. And part of it is so that God will bless and hopefully change that person from what they did. But just as important is it changes you. Because as it turns out, there have been times where I have not wanted to do this. I've been legitimately feeling like I've been hurt and wronged. They are in the wrong. And I've gone, Lord, I'm praying for them today not because I want to, but only because you've told me to. I'm not feeling full of love and blessing towards them. And I'm not really meaning what I'm praying. Because God knows this already. So it's good to be honest. But because you've told me to do it, I'm going to do it. And I need your help from here on out. So, Father, you know what they did. You know how I hurt. But bless them. Because this is what you tell me to do. And, Father, pray for their health and for their finances, for their prosperity. I pray, Lord, that you, you heal their hearts and heal their wounds and draw them closer to you. And if they don't know you, Lord, take the veil away and show them who you are. Let them taste of your mercy and bless their marriage and bless their career. Bless what they put their hands to, Lord. Let them prosper in what they do. 
And what happens is, if you do that for a day, you might still be mad. And if you do it for two days, it probably won't feel much better. But if you do this continually, your heart starts to change. Because it's really hard to seek God's good for someone else and have your heart hard towards them at the same time. Your heart starts to soften. And even I've just found, if, even if it is just an act of will to get you going, Jesus told us to do this, and he told us this for a reason. Last point is keep at it. Sometimes you can forgive somebody today and then get re-angry tomorrow. Right? Sometimes you can let someone off the hook, and yet you know something will trigger something later, and it all comes crashing back. Seventy times seven is Jesus' way of saying, you just keep at this. And even as we're wrestling through those scriptures about eternity and forgiveness and, and what our unforgiveness might be doing, like there's nothing that we do as followers of Jesus that is perfect. There is no good deed that we don't stumble and struggle through. So I think as long as we are trying, as long as we are not shutting down towards someone else, as long as we are pressing in, and, and even if it's just out of obedience, as long as we are sincerely trying at this, I believe God will always be pleased by that. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done. We have an email address here at the church, questions at meadowbrook.ca. It's in the bulletin as well. And uh, any questions, comments, thoughts on the sermon, we would love to keep chatting with you about it. Uh, please feel free to make use of that. You know, with my kids, and if you have multiple kids, you can probably relate to this. Uh, they're best friends until they're not. And they, they get along amazingly well. And they love each other, and they have a blast. And they're of an age now where we can send them off and just say, go play in the toy room. And they'll go for three hours, and it's awesome. It's the best. If you've got young kids, that day is coming for you. And you can do other things during that time. And they'll go away playing, and, and then yet, inevitably, someone takes a toy, or someone is a bit too rough, and someone comes crying, or they both come crying, or they both come pointing fingers and accusing, and so you do the parental thing of what happened, and you shouldn't have done this, and you shouldn't have done that, and what do you say to one another? Sorry, sorry. And then they're fine. They are best friends so quickly again, because they're just, you know what? Nothing's worth not having this relationship. Now that's minor offenses and I'm not in any way making light of serious and significant things that some of us might be carrying. But it just, it so inspires and challenges me where Jesus says, be like a child, right? Be, be gracious, be forgiving, keep short accounts, right? Like wipe the slate clean regularly so that you can get back to that good place. And as we remember, uh, just as a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the parable of the prodigal son and these pictures of God that we are seeing in these parables. That the prodigal son required, or the prodigal father required nothing of his son to come home, just forgiveness. That the king required nothing of the servant today. There's just forgiveness. And as we are grounded in his grace and in his mercy for us, his forgiveness towards us, that we go out and be gracious and merciful as well. Close your eyes with me for a sec, and please, everybody do it. Even if you're new here or don't really like doing this, I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes and just rest here with us for a minute. And we pray, Holy Spirit, just in light of your word and the challenge of it and the difficulty of it, we pray, Spirit of God, that you will uh, right now bring to mind just one person that we are struggling with, one person that we're holding something against. And there very well could be more, but just right now, Holy Spirit, Help us to focus on one. So bring one name or one face or one person to mind.
as we land on that person, Lord, uh, we don't want to justify or excuse or logic away anything uh, that they have done towards us. And so uh, we just remind ourselves here in this moment, with your presence here in this safe place, standing before you, uh, we just remind ourselves even briefly of, of the hurt that was done or the words that were said. We, we don't want to run from them. We rest here in this moment. as we think about that we don't sugarcoat it we don't say that it was right or justified we don't try and make it right or make excuses for it we acknowledge it was wrong and yet we acknowledge Lord that uh, that you are the judge that you are the one to deal with it that you are the one to deal with them and so uh, Lord we put our trust and our hope in your justice and we just release that to you now and say, Lord, be Lord in this situation. And Father, as we are concerned on our end, we think of that person and we pray uh, just a simple prayer where we say, we release you in Jesus' name. And just agree with that inside, even if you don't say it out loud. We release you in Jesus' name. And you owe me nothing. You owe me no consequence, no payment. No repentance. You owe me nothing. God will deal with you if need be, but you owe me nothing. And I release you from anything that you owe me. I just, in mercy and grace, I let that go. And Father, in Jesus' name, we bless that person. Even if we don't feel it, even if it is just an act of the will, we bless them, Lord. We pray your blessing over them. We pray you open heaven over them. We pray that you heal those wounds in their own life, Lord, we, their own hurts and the things that they carry. We pray, Lord, that you will prosper them, that you will heal their bodies, heal their mind, heal their souls, that, Holy Spirit, you will go deep into their lives and you will renew them and refresh them and transform them. Your blessing would be upon them and upon their marriage and upon their children and upon their children's children. And if they don't know you, Lord, open their eyes so that they do know you, so that they can taste the grace and forgiveness that you have given to them and offered to them. And we pray, Lord, that you will be with them, that your presence will surround them, that your peace and your joy will be theirs. And Lord, even if we are here today and we're not really feeling that prayer, we pray it in obedience to you, trusting that you will do something in their life and you will do something in our life as we do that as we release that to you. And Father, as we do that, we look to you now and we just open up our arms wide to receive all of the grace and mercy and forgiveness that you offer for even the sins we have committed this morning on our way to church, that we would receive fully everything that you have for us and that as we rejoice in that forgiveness and in that mercy, in the compassion and the grace that you've given, that we would be more merciful and gracious and compassionate to others because you have wiped out our tremendous debt and because of that you have our thanks and you have our worship we will trust you we will thank you we will worship you and we will follow after you because you have been so good to us so we worship you now in Jesus name we pray amen would you stand with me as we close in worship today as you leave this place as you enter a reconciled relationship with somebody we encourage you to do that. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you with that as well. We also offer prayer after service. If there's something that the Lord has laid on your heart, you need prayer over, we encourage you to come forward. There'll be people available. 
And as people come forward to pray and you want to visit and hang out, that's awesome. We encourage that. But we encourage you to do that in the foyer or down the hallway. That way people can come forward and get prayed over and creating an atmosphere where we can minister to one another. So let's pray together. Lord, thanks for this morning. And I pray that as we walk through this week, as we go through this day, that you would lighten our load, that you'd help us to walk in reconciliation with others as well. Help us to have courage and strength to follow through on the things you put on our heart this morning. Uh, give us the wisdom for that. Give us the guidance that we need and the strength as well. Jesus, thank you that you've poured out everything for us and that you love us and that that grace you've given us, help us to show that to others in our life. Uh, it's not always easy, but so Lord, help us to live in the spirit and not in the flesh. Help us to see people through your eyes. Uh, Lord, I know there are many times in my life where I operate in my own strength and that's when I fail miserably and I look at people in my own condemnation and I pray Jesus that you would allow us to see people through your eyes so Lord give us freedom from the shackles that hold us back from unforgiveness from broken relationships so Lord thank you for each one today and I pray for them give them a great day a great week coming up Lord ordain those moments ahead for us this week that we would walk through through the power of the Holy Spirit we love you Thank you again for allowing us to come to your presence to worship you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.